What's up, wellness gang? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio, a podcast framed around making women healthy again. My name is Sarah Collins, and to my left, I have my lovely co-host, Denon Maximchuk. What is going on, everybody? Today's episode is not only going to make women healthier, it's going to make everyone healthier and hopefully debunk some of the public myths and misconceptions associated with the meat and animal farming industry in general. When I was 13, I had the lovely experience of working on a sustainable chicken farm. However, I know that's going to pale in comparison to today's guest, Bryce Pomponio, who's the owner of P&H Ranch, a local BC farm-to-table ranch that both Sarah and I are a huge fan of. Bryce, welcome to the podcast and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your ranch. Thanks for having me, guys. P&H is a, a small farm up uh, near Cornell, BC. It's about 60 two acres and uh been running that for about three three years now and uh i do cows uh grass finished and soon to have some chickens up and running here in the new year and uh and pigs as well awesome and you noted that your cows are grass finished so many of our listeners have heard of grass-fed beef can you explain to them the difference between a cow that is grass-fed and one that is grass finished yeah there that is kind of a can be a misleading term grass fed uh i guess all all cows in canada are grass fed for at least a portion of their lives and then typically you know traditional beef is sent off to a feedlot where it is fed grains uh for the last three months of its life before uh sent to the slaughterhouse so with grass finishing their all they eat their whole life is is grass and hay um so the term grass-fed, you'll see on a lot of meat, um, that doesn't mean it was 100% grass-fed. They could have just been weaned from its mother's milk, been on pasture for the spring, and uh, and sent, sent to the feedlot right after that. It's kind of like um, free-range chickens, right? Like that's, uh, that's pretty misleading as well. Like the free-range part of it could just be uh, an area the size of my office that a thousand chickens have the option uh, to go be free in, but they don't put any food or water out there. So uh, they often don't go outside. So um, if you want all natural beef, look for grass finish on the label. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to understand the terms that you are buying into on labels. If you follow me or us on social media or you're one of our clients, you know that we talk a lot about this. And this is something that I educate all of my clients on because A lot of companies out there are putting labels on their products to, number one, put them at a higher price point, as well as sell them to consumers to make them think that they're getting something better, when in reality, they're not always better. They're just typically more expensive. And this is why understanding the meaning of different terms on a label is important, as well as making sure that you're buying from farms like P&H Ranch that you can actually trust and that you know that the farm is is really taking care of their animals and they hold themselves to high standards as well. So to set some context here, I think it's difficult nowadays to talk about farming without immediately having oftentimes stigmas and and oftentimes really activists popping up saying, oh, animals are treated terribly on farms. um, Therefore, why would you eat meat? It's completely unethical. I've personally had a good experience with it. And also Sarah and I do search out uh, local farms, even just in our lower mainland area here where we know we can get ethically sourced meat. Could you tell us a little bit about your farm, how the animals are treated, and maybe tell us a little bit more about inside the industry? Right. Yeah, that's a good point there. Um, 
like I said in the intro there, my farm's pretty small, 60 acres. So I know all my animals' names. They're not just like a number on the ledger kind of thing. So um, for me, I have that connection with them. And I think in large uh, operations when, you know, they're just a number, um, you disassociate yourself like um, like the whole living creature thinking can become blurred if, you know, they're just kind of, um, uh, yeah, like just a number. So I think uh, when you get the smaller operations, generally grass finishes are smaller because the, the land it, it takes to, to finish them. Um, you get that, um, that connection with the animal. You want it to be healthy. You don't want to see it suffer. You, uh, you take the extra initiative to get out there when it's minus 30, water's still flowing and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that this term of ethics or this idea of ethics, it also is a little bit of a blurred line. And this is coming from someone who is vegan for about six years. So I've done my time in the vegan world for ethics. And what many people miss out on is that even when we won't get too much into this, even when you're eating a vegan or a vegetarian diet, it still comes at the cost of a lot of animals, right? Like rabbits, insects, bugs, when they're doing the huge farming of like wheat or just um, corn or anything like that is that there still is the price of animals um, within that. And so when you're buying into ethical meat or you're buying into a farm, like Bryce said, where he knows all of his animals' names, like you feel better about buying that meat as opposed to just like large farming practices that are still destroying animals and insects on the way. It's, it's pretty crazy when you're doing like a big monocrop like soy or corn, how many rodents and snakes and like millions and maybe billions every year die from, mm -hmm. uh, from farming those mon monocrop fields. But I guess they're, they're not cute enough to, for people to care maybe. <laughs> So all of your awesome animals that you know by name, take me through kind of like a, a day in the life. I've seen videos online. I sent you a few from that uh, Ohio dairy farmer and he, he goes and shows exactly like their living situations, all of this stuff. Tell me like what happens in the day of the life of a beautiful cow. Well, this time of year, um, they're off pasture and they're in, uh, in the corrals now. So that, uh, that looks like a, a large fenced area with, um, with shelters for them to sleep in and get out of the wind. There's uh, heated water troughs and uh, and round bale feeders for hay. So a uh, typical morning in the winter is get up, fill up the water, make sure it's not frozen, and uh, make sure they got they got their hay out there and uh, cleaning out the stalls. The uh, animals don't know where the bathroom area is, so everywhere is the bathroom <laughs> for them. So you got to that's a big part of keeping the environment that they live in clean because if they're laying in their own uh, in their own filth that that gets on their fur and when it's time for them to be become food that that creates a unsanitary uh, um, environment there so um, so they are quite uh, quite cared for when it's cold out and then once we hit springtime they're they're taken out to uh, a number of pastures I have that they're rotated through and I have a, a river running through my property or small creek and they get their uh, their water from that and munching on all the forage I got here I was listening to a few podcasts from Anya Frenald, um, who owns Belcampo Meats down south of the border, our friends down there. And she was talking about the importance of rotating the animals around the farms and such. And I was also listening to podcasts from Dr. Zach Bush talking about the importance of removing glyphosate from uh, all your crops and the grass and all that things as that chemical is so horribly detrimental to the human body. One of your titles is a sustainable farm. And I want to know 
what what does that even mean? Like, do you have crops as well when it comes to rotating the animals? Why are you doing that? And uh, why is it important to have these aspects of a farm? Well, that's, that's a good question there. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the glyphosates there because uh, a lot of big operations use that to kill kill the weeds, the broad leaves that uh, kind of overrun the hay crops and, and, uh, and especially uh, the monocrops there. So that's something that's not organic and it is... Uh, it was originally developed by a Montesano uh, chemist. So anytime you hear the M word there, you want to <laughs> head for the hills. Yeah, it's been linked to cancer. And it's not just farms that use it. BC Forestry has been uh, spraying um, the forests with from airplanes no. and stuff for years. And because they've got an agenda with pine trees that they want to um, replant, replant with pine trees, which aren't um, native to a lot of the areas up here and, and they spray the whole area um, killing all the forage for all the animals and um, a lot of uh, a lot of ranchers will take their cattle out to range in the summer right because their farms are being grown for the hay crop so they grow the hay far, the cows are out in the rangelands and once they cut it they bring the cows home to to munch on it after harvest so when they're out on these rangelands, they're um, they're missing out on all this forage because of all the, the spraying that's being done by our our, uh, our BC Forest Ministry there. So um, <clears throat> so that's a concern to all of us. But back to the sustainability of farming, um, I think that uh, when you have uh, enough room on your on your farm to rotate your your cattle through the pastures, allowing the grass to be in its optimal. Uh, uh, growing state, right? Too short, it's going to take a long time to come back and too long, and then it gets to seed and over matures. So um, by rotating your your cattle around the pastures, you keep it optimal levels, optimal proteins for the animals. And uh, and you're also letting their manure uh, naturally fertilize the soil instead of having to uh, to fertilize with chemicals. So my my farm hasn't been uh, sprayed with any herbicides, pesticides, or fertilizers in over 15 years. The previous owners uh, wow. stopped. Um, the previous owners stopped actually farming here uh, 15 years ago. So um, when I bought it, uh, it did need some love, but I I can get organic certification uh, immediately. I, I've got one big one big field out there that I'm working at this spring. So it'll be uh, it'll be tested after I work it out by our uh, one of our uh, local uh, governing bodies for organic. So I hope to be able to, to say, say I'm organic certified next year. So Amazing. And getting certifications is not just a process where you're like, hey, I'm organic. There's governing bodies that hold the farms and hold any company to certain standards for getting certifications. So can you let our listeners know a little bit about how you would go about getting a certification and what that means for you as a farmer? How strict is it? It's it's it is really strict. I've I've already applied for it uh, a year and a half ago, and um, so what they're going to do with that is they're going to send someone out randomly to do soil tests on all on all my um, pastures and fields, and that'll be analyzed, and then they'll randomly come back one or two more times in the next year, do more testing and samples, and. Uh, and then I'll be issued uh, a certificate for uh, for being organic. And um, after that, they can randomly come and test uh, again to make sure you're not squeaking in any uh, prohibited, excuse me, prohibited items on there. So 
I've got a printout here of about this this thick of approved and uh, approved fertilizers and um, and pesticides, which uh, which you can use to keep your yields up. So you don't have to just go all natural. Well, you can protect your your investment. It is cost a lot of money to seed a to seed a field. So um, it is nice to know that there are organic uh, fertilizers out there that um, that I can use. That's super interesting. Just to give context back to uh, like one of the past comments that we made about glyphosate. If you're in- unfamiliar with what glyphosate is, it's essentially a water soluble chemical compound and it's Roundup, the same thing that you would see at your like local Home Depot or something that you could pick up as a weed killer for your, you know, your gardens and your lawns. Um, although it's, it does work very well temporarily to kill off the weeds. This is used in mass in, in the farming industry. And now, like, as we just heard also in the BC forestry, which is very, very concerning to me. And yeah, like Bryce was saying, it's, it's been linked to cancer, uh, autism, and many, many, many other things. Um, not only that, but given the fact that it is a water soluble compound, it gets into our environment and it takes a minimum of 50 years to get it out of an environment because it's water soluble. It will come out of our ground. It'll evaporate out into the air. It'll be into the clouds. And eventually it kind of just gets everywhere. One of the issues with this is that we're starting to see on a mass scale uh, sickness from all sorts and especially in uh, the gut health uh, region. So if this is getting into our bodies, this chemical that's basically just killing everything, it's destroying our insides and of our digestive tracts as well. So um, eventually, you know, I'd love to get Dr. Zach Bush on to talk about this because I know he could just go on for hours. Yeah, and I think that um, a lot of people have a misconception that organic doesn't matter. You hear that all the time. And honestly, I used to think that. I was like, well, you know, F it, I'm eating vegetables. (laughs) But it really does matter. And so if you actually think about the point of like pesticides and herbicides, they're killing off bugs. How big is an insect or a bug? I can see it with my eyes. And then you're ingesting the same chemicals. How small are the microbes or the bacteria in your stomach? way smaller than what they're trying to kill out there. And so when we ingest these things into our body, we're killing off a lot of our good gut bacteria. And really, gut bacteria or a healthy and diverse microbiome is foundational for your overall health and really every other system of the body. And when we look at this, when we're talking specifically about beef or red meat, what the animal is fed and what is it is exposed to in its environment directly impacts the nutritional value of that meat. And so if you were to take, there's lots of studies. In fact, we linked a study and we chatted a little bit more about this in our previous podcast on nutrition for stress support. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. But they have done a lot of studies just to show the difference in nutritional value of a traditional or a conventionally grown um, crop of red meat versus a grass-fed and grass-finished organic cow. So the levels of omega-3, which is pro-inflammatory to omega-6, which can't, or sorry, omega-6, which is pro-inflammatory to omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory, are completely different just based off of what the cow was eating and the quality of that meat. The nutritional value of vitamins and minerals is a lot higher in meat that you're buying that is grass-fed, grass-finished, and organic than it is in conventional meat. And so really the quality of the food that we're taking in, the way that the cow was raised, how happy the cow was, because we know just how impactful our mind is on our body and our health, um, the types of food that they're fed, and their overall quality of life play a huge role in the nutritional value of the food that you're buying. What she said. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) The ratios from a grass-finished cow 
are uh, from six six to three ratios are two to one, and the grain finished is nine to one. So if you're eating mm-hmm. uh, you know, traditional grain finished uh, beef, you really would have to supplement your omega threes to get that ratio up. And uh, you know that's not that's not always uh, uh, feasible for a lot of people. So sorry, just just to confirm, you're saying in a I want to make sure I hear this right. In a grass finished beef, as compared to just a traditional one, there's a nine to one difference in omega three to omega six ratio. Six to three ratio in grass finished is two to one, and in grain finished, it's nine to one. Wow, which is crazy high. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So what are some of the other notable differences that somebody's going to notice when they purchase from a sustainable ethical ranch such as yourself? Well, I think uh, the main uh, two, two big points there are going to be the, uh, the stress of the animal. And you'll be able to, to taste that, that difference. Um, traditional beef is uh, the animals are trucked around uh, two or three, maybe four different times in their life over long distances, which is very stressful. And, uh, and their final truck stop is at a slaughterhouse where they're, um, extremely stressed and the new way of slaughtering beef. I don't know if, if you guys have seen the, the videos out there. This is, uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's hard to watch guys in the last, uh, last few minutes of their life. And, and most mammals are, uh, are affected by stress in a negative way in the flavor of the meat. So. Um, at, at my place and other small places, we have an arbitoire come in, um, which is like a mobile uh, uh, slaughter person, and they'll come in and and the animal doesn't even leave their home really. Like they're, it's all done on site and um, and sent off to your butcher like that. So um, you can really tell the difference in the quality uh, just on the way they're treated. Another, <clears throat> sorry, another uh, another aspect of that is uh, is is the feed too. So if they're you are what you eat, right? So if you're if you're in a feedlot and you're getting poisoned with grains, um, you have to get antibiotics. Um, if you know you're, you're they're going to get sick, and you're basically making them sick, right? But to fatten them up the fastest. So like a grain finished animal can be finished in three months. Um, grass finished is anywhere from six months to a year. So you can kind of see the economics there, right? If if it's all dollars and cents to you, then uh, the more beef you can pump in and out, the more money uh, you're going to generate. So um, grass-finished beef is more expensive for that reason, that it takes a lot longer to get them up to, to weight. I wasn't aware of the, the new ways that animals are, are, are being slaughtered after a, honestly, not probably very great life on these massive farms. Um, I don't really want to get into that or how <laughs> it's done, because I'll, I'll probably end up crying, but it does... Um, obviously to play devil's advocate, like there is a point that a lot of these activists do have when they're approaching farms. And I would say painting with too wide of a brush though, have you faced any backlash from activists and what are kind of some of the main things that you're approached with and and have to rebuttal? Uh, I think, uh, my side of the fence here with the grass finishing is, uh, uh, I haven't, I haven't noticed any activism in that side of the thing. I think it, they are kind of, uh, they are painting with a wide brush and saying meat, meat is bad. I think a lot of these activists are vegetarians. So we'll, we'll get, uh, you know, kind of piled into that, but, um, it's the slaughterhouses and, uh, and the grain, they're the feedlots that are taking the brunt of this. And they're, they're not all bad. These, you know, there there's out, outfits out there that are doing things the right way. But, um, um, 
it is it is all it is, seems to be drafted at, at the green finishing uh, side of the fence here, which uh, uh, I think is where the biggest change needs to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really easy for people to just group things together in their mind where it's like, oh, every piece of red meat is X, Y, and Z versus like actually taking a deeper look at the differences. And I had a reel that I made on Instagram not too long ago about Beyond Meat versus a regular meat burger went kind of viral. And I caught a lot of backlash from that. And I was very surprised at how much misinformation is out there and how tightly people cling to certain things that they believe even if they might not be fully true. And so a big one that obviously comes up when you're talking about red meat is red meat causes cancer. And maybe we'll do an entire podcast on this. However, it's important to actually look at like where this information came from, what studies they're referring to, and also the clinical significance of those studies. So you hear this argument a lot, but when you actually look at the studies that were done, most of them are looking at a standard American diet, which is not just red meat, it's low quality red meat mixed with a bunch of other inflammatory crap in fast food, eating whatever they want versus someone who's on a whole food plant-based diet. Well, no wonder one of those is going to be worse from you. And the next step is looking at the study's uh, significance. So in order for something to be significant in science, it needs to have a value of 2.0. The link between red meat and cancer is less than one. I forget the exact. Do you know the exact stat? No. It's way less than one, something that would make you laugh at it. Well, we'll put it in the show notes. And it's just interesting to watch kind of the narrative that's pushed and also who is pushing that and who is buying into that. And when you actually kind of look past that and start to actually chat with farmers and actually look at the studies and understand how nutrition works and the difference between high quality and low quality meat, it's pretty unfortunate that there is such a misconception about red meat in general, which can be such a beautiful bioavailable source of protein and nutrients. I would also argue a lot of that is economically driven though. I mean, if you look at the propaganda that I would like people like Dr. Greger from nutritionfacts.org, who has huge stakes in the vegan documentaries that have been coming out, you know, game changers, or my personal favorite is one that I took down years ago, which was what the health where I basically laid out all of the science that was presented in this documentary, and actually read the studies and or looked for the studies that they they referenced in that movie, most of them were either cherry picked information, or they were just flat out twisting the numbers to fit their narrative. Now there's money behind a lot of these pushes, right? And same thing when we're looking at uh, Bill Gates, for example, buying up massive amounts of farmland in North America, number one, to uh, make beans and soy and all of these things that support his investments in uh, Beyond Meat Burgers and the alternative meat industry, but also to make sure that we don't have larger plots of land for more sustainable farms, um, much which is your goal. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, like Anya Fernald from uh, Belcampo, she has this vision of, of making this massive global sustainable farming movement. And a lot of these big billionaires with money in the uh, fake meat or alternative meat industries are really trying to stomp that down. So there is a lot of information. And, and when you are starting to surf the internet or surf, especially documentaries, which are very poor sources of information, yes, they may be referencing studies. But one of the best things I would say that you can do is actually look into the quote unquote research that they're using to support it. And a lot of the times it may look like a lot of scientific jargon and you might have to learn how to actually read this science. But for the sake of your health and your family's health, it's important to dive in a little bit further into it. 
Yeah, and it's really important to also be able to have discernment on where this information is coming from. Does this apply to me and how might it apply? So let's go let's take it take a little back step and go back to the beyond meat. Yeah. Bryce, as somebody who does ethical farming of high quality grass finished beef, what are your thoughts on beyond meat? Well, thanks for asking me about that, but, uh, um, we just opened Pandora's I, uh, box people. Well, my, my opinion is that synthetic meat has changed, uh, over the years. I mean, I know when they, the, the guys at beyond their, uh, first uh, started producing, um, I checked out their, like the, the ingredient list that they, they published and it didn't look, uh, too bad. I tried it. It didn't taste too bad. But I think once they went big time and, and I don't know if they got bought out or they just, uh, you know, maybe went public and had shareholders to think about, they had to really change the quality of their ingredients. And it uh, it took a big hit, I think, in, in quality to appeal to the masses. Like people aren't going to buy synthetics if they cost a lot more than the real thing. Um, so, so I don't think synthetic meat is going to compete with real meat until they can a, make it he- just as healthier, healthier, and B, get the price equal or less than real beef. Um, I, I, you know, it's directly going to impact me if, if they do get those things done. But um, the standard American diet is red meat heavy, right? So if we can reduce the carbon footprint of, of farming beef, like with the feedlots and, and that thing by making synthetics, I'm all for it. Um, I think... Uh, I think synthetics could be the future, but it's not yet. It's 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 basically the vegetarian hot dog. Mm-hmm. I would say so, and I, I would argue that I don't think they're selling on the values of health. And most of the time, no. I think they're marketing it as an emotionally charged purchase more than anything. Like if you obviously you take it side by side and you look at the uh, nutritional density of a, a Beyond Meat burger or any alternative meat or synthetic meat, as, as you called it, um, next to true grass-fed grass-finished uh red meat it's laughable it's laughable it's not even the same it's it's like me eating an ice cream cone as compared to this beautiful dense meal of with all of these greens and veggies and and beautiful things and colorful uh, fruits and stuff so it's it's incomparable and i don't like that a lot of the time it's it's still being compared one to one Mm -hmm. yeah and outrageous comparisons it is Let's take it back a little bit to the environmental aspect. So Bryce, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how your farm is different than let's say a conventional farm in just the overall carbon footprint and the impact on the environment. And to add to that, to add to that one more question, just on top in general, do you also believe that the meat industry is actually that large of a carbon contributor as compared to as many things? Cause it does seem to be villainized, but anyways, yeah, those those are both good questions. There, I think uh, the the one thing I will um, one thing the negative that I am doing is I'm small and I have uh, I have farm equipment. So if I was say triple in size, I wouldn't need more equipment, right? So the the nature of small farming, um, you I am I'm going to burn more diesel for my farm equipment than um, a, a farm triple my size. Um, so there's that carbon um, carbon increase in, in small farming, but the uh, the the animals themselves are eating uh, natural food, right? They're not 
they're not um, producing as much methane when they're eating what they're intended to eat. It's when they're in the feedlots, they're standing, you know, knee deep in their own um, in their own filth. Um, extra extra equipment is used in those feedlots to move the uh, the manure in, in piles. It's just the seepage into the into the ground or the water table there. It's affecting communities that live near feedlots. It's the health the health of uh, this broken system um, is uh, is affecting uh, the communities that live around them. So I think um, the the whole sustainable farming of rotating your your, your cattle through pastures uh, is definitely uh, better for the surrounding environment as well as the animals themselves. Mm-hmm. So when you did say I, did I miss one of those questions there? Oh yeah, I think the only question would be as far as the. Uh, impact environmentally of farms in general on the environment. It seems to be a highly villainized thing. Is that fair or do they have some ground to stand on? No, that's, that's fair. I think, uh, I think the, um, the methane that these uh, animals produce um, does have an impact on, um, on, on our environment. Um, You know, if we, if we, as a people ate less beef, then, um, then yeah, that would have a, a good impact on, on, um, on our environment. But um, I, I, I don't, I don't. The data that I see when I look this up, I don't. It, it seems a little off to me. Like I've, I've got neighbors who have large operations, and um, it just, it seems, it just doesn't seem, doesn't seem accurate to me, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners who are wondering, how the heck does a cow produce methane? Are we talking about production from the um, from the actual equipment or the cow. And some people are probably really confused at how a cow itself can be producing methane. Can you let the listeners know what that is? It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> my favorite question so far. Yeah, simply put, cow farts. They, uh, they, they fart a lot. Like, I'll, I'll get startled uh, sometimes <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> by it. Uh, and uh, they produce a, a lot of manure. <laughs> like, I've got... Uh, I've got a special spot where I fill up a tractor bucket and go dump it, and make my own compost, and um, and it's a it's a chore that's got to be done, if not daily, every other day. So um, the animals themselves produce. Um, um, let me back up there for a second. The uh, the animals they do produce um, a decent amount of methane, um, but that that amount is uh, is correlated to what they're eating too. So uh, Oh, kind of like, uh, so like, you know, if we go out and eat fast food, our, as humans, we might produce a little bit more methane than, uh, than <laughs> if we were eating a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. And part of that has to do with just the overall like fermentation that happens in the gut when an animal is eating something. So methane is typically produced when you have nutrients in your body that are starting to ferment, which can have which can be produced by um, your digestive efficiency and just your body's overall ability to break down the food that you're eating. So if you're having foods such as crappy hay or like from conventional feedlots, you're going to be not as a cow, not digesting the food as well, which will then produce more gas and methane. Yeah. Cows don't eat grains. They don't uh, eat eat, uh, corn and and they're not, it's not their natural food. They can't digest it. So that's where you're getting all that extra um, uh, gas coming from is there, they just can't break down the, the food that they're being fed by us. That's mm-hmm. super interesting. I wonder if, if there's a possibility to figure out data as far as like how much 
increase in percentage of methane that a grain-fed cow, a corn-fed cow would have in comparison to something like your cows. I wonder if there's some data out there on that. But um, as far as um, any other misconceptions or things that you think us city folk <laughs> don't understand and probably need to understand more about um, your meats and your animals or maybe this farming practices in general, what would you like to tell the people? Oh, uh, well, I think, um, I think looking at labels and knowing where your food comes from is probably one of the more important things you can do when you're doing your shopping. And uh, just keep in mind that there are those, uh, those like catchphrases, those flashy words that um, we all think are, are good and, and healthy, but they are misleading. It is just part of marketing uh, food. Um, so, you know, get out the, get out the Google there and, and look up and see where, where you know your grocery store gets its beef from um if uh if your if if your budget isn't uh allowing you to go out and and buy these like great cuts of of beef from the supermarket you can always find uh small farms like me where you can get like a half cow or a quarter cow and uh, that'll that'll save you a lot of money uh, over the course of a year it's more of an initial investment but over the course of the year it's much cheaper than a grocery store and and much higher quality so where can people find you at? Say they do want to invest in their health and invest in a quarter or a half of a cow where they can stock up their freezer and, and get all this delicious meat, which we have half of our freezer is also of your delicious meat. Um, where can they find you at? I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram at uh, p.h.ranch and uh, my website's phranch.ca. And uh, you can place your orders right through Instagram. Um, that's probably the best way to reach me. I'm, my website isn't set up for, for uh, order taking yet, but um, you know, as most of us are have our phones in our pockets and Instagram will let you know right away when one comes in. So, <laughs> uh, I've got pitch, pictures on there of the farm and the animals and, and all the good times that are happening. So check that out. We've got to get you more active on there showing off more of the daily yeah. operations and whatnot. But as far as your actual, like say I want to place an order, you do have um, you do have like order periods coming up, right? Like how many times a year do you actually have availability to, for people to place orders? It's, uh, at this point, uh, I'm doing it twice a year. So I do winter beef and, uh, spring or summer beef. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's all done by the, the, the hot hanging pan. So if you wanted, uh, half a cow, um, I just say on average, it's about, uh, um, uh, $4,000 a cow. So you divide that in half or into a quarter and uh, it all depends on their weight so uh, give or take a few hundred bucks and uh, and you're going to need a, you're going to need a deep freeze if you don't have one then uh, what I've been doing with you guys is doing little packs I'll come down uh, I come down to the coast every month and I can bring uh, small quantities too so for pe those guys that live in apartments we can uh, we can help you out too with some small packs us, us city folk, eh? All those tiny little <laughs> freezers, but we make it work. We're actually thinking about getting a little, uh, another fridge or a freezer and just putting it in a storage room because it's like, it's so worth stocking up on all this awesome stuff. Yeah, especially with the cost of beef is, is going up. Um, the uh, this COVID has impacted, uh, uh, impacted the beef market quite a bit. Um, I'm going to have to, it's going to cost me more next year to buy calves. So, um, you know, the price of beef is, is going to go up. So you stock up in the, this winter and next spring and uh, get ahead of the game. Amazing. Sarah, anything else you'd like to say? 
I think that's everything. Amazing. So if anybody has any questions or they want to look back at any of the podcast notes, the podcast notes can be found at embodiedwellnesscode.com slash blog slash meet podcast. Bryce, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm going to have all your information linked uh, in the podcast notes. And I'm so excited for people to invest in their health and invest in uh, smaller sustainable practices that are in general just going to help not only our local economy, but our health conscious buying um, all around. So thank you so much for coming on today. And we'll see you again next time, everybody. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.